Let us pray. Holy Father, we now declare that we need you. We confess that unless you speak to us through your word, we don't have any direction in life. Lord, that we we need you by your spirit to speak to us. We are desperate, Father. We have gathered to worship you today and to hear from you. And so I pray that as we open your word this morning, you would speak into our lives. I pray that you would strengthen our souls for the days ahead. Pray that you would grant us endurance. I pray that you would you would walk with us and help us to see how your presence with us sustains us and walks us through this life growing us and leading us and shaping us in all of our ways. And I pray this morning that not only would our eyes see your word, but our our hearts would love your words and our mind would comprehend your words. Lord, that our lives, that we would be ready and desiring to apply your words into our daily lives. And so now, Lord, we pray, I pray, that you would... Take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and that it would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse 5 this morning. We'll walk through verse 15. And the title of the message this morning is, How Should We Live? Part 3. It's the third part of the series that we have been walking through uh, since John chapter 15, where we began looking at the relationships. We saw the relationship between the disciples and Jesus, the relationship between uh, the disciples and the world, and today we see the relationship between the disciples and the Holy Spirit as we relate to God the Father. So this morning's text is a continuation of the upper room discourse where Jesus is up and he's in the upper room with his disciples and he's been teaching them just before he is going to the cross. These are his last few moments with with his disciples. So his death and his departure is near and to enter into the world of disciples in this text is to enter into the world of sorrow. I'm not sure how many people... Uh, in the audience this morning are familiar with an old show, country show called Hee Haw. Raise your hand if you've heard it. All right. So half, maybe maybe two-thirds know what Hee Haw's about. Well, there was one particular skit in Hee Haw. I, listen, I know this because when I used to go to my grandmother's house, she loved to watch it, okay? So uh, that's the disclaimer. But in this, in this, uh, in this skit, these guys would always sing the same song. Gloom, despair, and what? Agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Right? Well, that, 
I think that might be similar to what the disciples are feeling at this point. Gloom and despair, sorrow. They are, they are brought to a place of great sorrow. So if you found your place in verse 5, say amen. Follow along as I read. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose or declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will declare it to you. Sorrow. The disciples are filled with sorrow. In fact, it says that in verse 6. I've said these things to you and sorrow has filled your heart. I think it's important for us to note in the beginning of the message this morning that the theme is God is with us. And this text shows us that God is with us. It it shows us what Christ is teaching and telling his disciples about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the helper that will come. And so the the first point I want us to see this morning, it's simple, two points in the outline. The first one is the Holy Spirit, our helper. I want us to see that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And then secondly, I want us to see that the Holy Spirit is our guide, the Holy Spirit, our guide. And so first, the Holy Spirit our helper. Jesus had given the disciples a metaphor to understand their relationship with him, with the Father. And this metaphor began in chapter 15, verse 1. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? And he says, every branch that remains in me will bear fruit. And he goes on to say, my Father is the vine dresser. And those that don't bear fruit, my Father will prune, or he will take away, he will cut off those who don't bear fruit. And so we see Jesus being the vine and, and the disciples, the branches that are plugged in or the, that are in the vine. And then the Father himself is the one that comes along and, and prunes the branches in the lives of his disciples. We noted that even fruit-bearing branches must be pruned. So Christ then chooses these disciples. We learned that in chapter 15 as well. He chooses them out of the world in order to be distinct from the world. They are to look different. Their lives are to have a radically different flavor than those in the world. Not only does he choose them out, but he appoints them to do something. He appoints them to bear fruit in the world. And the way they were to bear fruit was to remain in the vine. One of the ways they bear fruit is they bear fruit by having a word. We saw that in verse 20, right? 
Verse 20 says, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. We noted they had to have a word. The disciples must have had a word for the world that they were living in. Because if they wouldn't have had a word, then they would not have been persecuted. But because they had a word that came from Christ, they would be persecuted. And so he tells them that you'll be persecuted They'll even be murdered. They'll be cast out of the synagogues or excommunicated. Chapter 6, verse 2. I'm um, chapter 16, verse 2. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, I didn't tell you these things in the beginning because I was with you. But verse 5, now that I'm leaving and I'm going to him who sent me, now I'm telling you these things. And so this sorrow that they're feeling right now, it, it's a real sorrow. They're not certain where to turn, what to do. But Jesus is calling them, even here in verse 5, he's calling them to see the big picture. Look, he says, I'm going to him who sent me. He's using missional language here. He's talking about the Father had sent him into the world. And so he's, he's talking about continuing on this mission. And he's going now, returning to the Father, because he's been sent on this mission. And Christ himself is about to finish the mission that he had been sent on. And so he says, but now I'm telling you this. Now I'm going to the one who sent me. And so Christ, get this, Christ's mission, it climaxes in his death and his resurrection. It's his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that will then fuel the mission of the disciples. And that's important for us to hear this morning. Because the disciples' mission involves carrying out this great commission or carrying out this message for which Christ himself died. And so Jesus tells them, now it's really to your advantage that I go away because here's why. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. When I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. And the Holy Spirit, he will be with you. He'll be the helper In fact, he says, if I do not go away, verse 7, the helper will not come to you. But if I go to him, I will send him to you. And so the climax of the disciples or of Christ's mission was his death and resurrection. But the climax of the disciples' mission was not walking with Jesus. You ever hear someone say, man, if I could have just been there when Jesus was there, it would have been so much easier. Maybe you said that. Jesus shoots that down right here, all right? He says, no, whenever I go to the Father and I send the Holy Spirit to you, it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit will be there with you. You see, the climax of the disciples' mission wasn't while Jesus was in incarnate or walking in the flesh. Instead, that the climax of the disciples' mission would be when they were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension. And so... For us this morning, what we need to recognize that Jesus is saying is he has called us to walk by his spirit and he has given us of his spirit so that as we walk through this life, as we walk day in and day out as believers, his Holy Spirit is with us. God is with us. And it's to our advantage that he has gone to the Father because in going to the Father, he has accomplished salvation for all who believe in him. He has atoned for our sin and satisfied the wrath of God against sin. And so the disciples, they couldn't see beyond the physical presence of Christ. 
They couldn't get past him being right there with them. They, with them. they were, they were self-absorbed. They were filled with sorrow and grief, and they were hopeless. You know what they thought? They thought being guided by the Holy Spirit was, well, it was foreign to them. They couldn't foresee how the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. For them, nothing could have been better than serving their own interests, and nothing could have been, been better than, than having Jesus remain incarnational, having him remain in the flesh. So the disciples, they were advantaged when Jesus went to the Father because the Holy Spirit's presence would come and dwell with them, as John fourteen twenty six says. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you, uh, send, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And in verse 23 of chapter 14, Jesus tells the disciples, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. You see, Jesus says that those who come to him, that he and the Father will come by the Holy Spirit, and they will make their abode in the life of his people. That's the church. That's brothers and sisters in Christ, all who profess faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. This is good news. This is wonderful news. And we see this is the plan that Christ has to carry out his mission on earth through the disciples. It's through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of his disciples. And so while the disciples couldn't see the blessing of spiritually filled and a spiritually dominated life, they would soon learn the blessing that was to come in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost. You know, sometimes it takes us walking through sorrow and grief and hardship or even, even through loss to gain a greater awareness of God's presence in our lives. Have you ever experienced that, walking through very difficult time of trial and sorrow and uh, and, and just crying out to God in great need and, and saying, God, fill me. I, I, I need to feel, I need to sense you, I need to know your presence with me. And you cry out to God in those great and desperate times of need. And sometimes it's in those times when we feel most close to God, even in the midst of the chaos that we sang about this morning, that he orders our chaos. He teaches us, he directs us. And so Jesus was pointing his disciples to see that the Holy Spirit, as helper, would empower them to be his disciples in the world, to be his followers. And then also, not only does Jesus point out to the disciples that, that, that the Holy Spirit will empower them to be his witnesses, but the, the, he points out to us through this text that the Holy Spirit, as helper, empowers the church today to be disciples and to be witnesses for Christ in the world. And so the role of the Holy Spirit in the world today is seen through verses 8 and 11. And so in verse 8, here's what he says. And he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict the world concerning sin. This word convict, it's a legal word. And it means to expose or to bring to light or, or to pronounce a verdict. And Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will reveal the guilt of those who are in the world and will expose their wrong and call them to a place of repentance. 
Now, it's critical that we see that the Holy Spirit isn't just uh, a spirit that is floating out over the waters and goes to the next person and decides to convict them of sin in their particular life. No, this all has to do with the disciples being fruit-bearing branches for the kingdom of God, remaining in the vine. And it has a direct connection and correlation to the disciples' relationship to the world. And so when we say the disciples were to have a word for the world, we're talking not only about the disciples then, but also about the church now. The church is to have a word that speaks into the current world, into the culture and the society that we live in. The church is to be the body of Christ reforming that which has been distorted through sin in this world. That's our call as disciples. Listen, we are change agents for the cause of Christ, transforming all those that we come in contact with by the good pleasure and design of God. It is God's design and God's pleasure to do a work in somebody else's life through the testimony that he's given you and through the work of grace that he's done in our lives. God has called us not to sit down and be quiet about our faith, right? No, he's called us to be vocal, to live it out. He's called us to be be vibrant in sharing our faith. So the Holy Spirit, in this text, in verse 8, I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit is not spoken of as man's advocate with the Father. That's important to see. In John, 1 John 2, 1, John says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right, so that's Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate with the Father. But, but get the Holy Spirit. Instead, instead of the Holy Spirit here, John's saying, instead, or Jesus is saying, instead of the Holy Spirit being our advocate with the Father, the Holy Spirit is Christ's advocate to the world. And how does he do this? He does it through the life of Christ's, of his disciples. And so he says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. What's sin? What is sin? It might sound like an elemental question, but I assure you it's an important one for us to ask today. What is sin? What is sin in this world? Quite simply, a a simple definition of sin would be transgressing God's law. Simply put, transgressing God's law. And the consequences of sin, the consequence is suffering the wrath of God. But you know, we live in a culture today that celebrates sin. Celebrates sin in all kind of different ways. It's human nature, in fact, for those who celebrate sin to deny that they have sin in their life are those who are wrong in, in their uh, in, in some action it, it's it's common human nature it's 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 the nature of natural man to want to push that aside and blame it on someone else it's other people who do wrong it's it's not me we think one person or someone said they ask a person who was in pain how'd you how'd you stub your toe and a woman replied, well, I was walking and I kicked a chair uh, and stubbed my toe and it hurt very badly. And then a man was asked the same question, how did you stub your toe? Well, 
some fool left a chair right in the middle of the walkway, and while I was walking through, I hit it. You know, wanting to blame, right, the blame game. We always want to blame our wrong, our pain, perhaps. We always want to blame that on someone else. But here what happens, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. You know, the natural person doesn't see their need for Christ. They don't see their need for Christ, and they don't see, because of that, they don't see that they have a need for a Savior. In other words, they'd ask, what do I need to be saved from? And the answer is sin. The world needs to be saved from sin, but they need to be saved to Christ. And for you and I, Christ is calling us to be the ones who are vocal in speaking about this faith relationship with Christ, walking by faith and being disciples of Christ. In archery, the term sin meant missing the mark. The mark was the bullseye. And in archery, you, you aim for the bullseye, of course. Everyone wants to hit the bullseye. And, and so sin was called missing the mark. It, it, our sin was a term for missing the mark, missing the bullseye. You know, and and that idea is fine in one sense for the Christian who's aiming for God's direction in life and aiming for God's will and wants to walk perfectly according to God's will. And we we would be able to understand how when we shoot the arrow, sometimes we miss the mark of what God is really intending and and desiring for us to walk in. I mean, we strive to live holy lives, and by God's grace, we're aiming at the bullseyes. We live out our faith and grow in sanctification. That would be an apt understanding of that analogy of missing the mark. But I think this understanding fails to comprehend the sin of the world that Jesus is speaking about. The sin of the world that Jesus is speaking about, the world doesn't just miss the mark. Here's what happens. The target's there, and the world turns their back and begins firing arrows in a different way, not even going for the target, denying Christ himself. You see, the greatest sin, the most condemnable sin that Christ is talking about here, the most condemnable sin is the one for the person who rejects Christ. That's why he says the helper will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. They have rejected me. It's only by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that our eyes are opened to see our need for Christ, that our eyes are open to see the terrible sinfulness that we walk in, the terrible state of our souls before Christ. And what we believe to be true of Christ affects every area of our lives. I want you to think about that. Every area, what we believe about Christ affects our parenting. It affects our marriage. It affects all relationships that we have. It affects our work in the business place. It affects our ethics. It affects our, uh, our, our view on life. It affects our convictions. It affects our purpose. It affects everything we do in life. Our belief in Christ and what we believe about who Christ is. Everything is affected by our faith in Christ. And so not only does the Holy Spirit, the helper, convict the world concerning sin, he also convicts the world or convicts concerning righteousness. He says, 
and concerning righteousness in verse 10, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And when he says concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, the words and the works of Christ evidence the, righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ. And the words and the works of Christ evidenced God's desire for all of his people to walk with him and to live in fellowship with him. And so there's a right way to live before God. And there's a wrong way to live before God. And the right way to live before God is revealed through Christ. It's revealed through the light of Christ coming into the dark world as Christ came into the world and shined the light of God's revelation, showing us how to live in relationship with the Father. And so when he says, I, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, he's speaking about journeying to the cross. When he, when he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross for the sin of the world, he goes to the Father and then brings us into God's presence through his righteousness. And so the outward appearance and, and the worldly view sees Jesus' death as shameful and, and humiliating. A death that's reserved only for thieves. Anyone who died on the cross was thought to be cursed, and they were cursed. He was mocked and he was spit upon by the world. But it was through the cross that Jesus returned to the Father. Righteousness, then, is predicated on Christ's atoning work on the cross. His death was the cure for sin. And it satisfied the wrath of God toward sin. And so now we have right standing with God because of what Jesus Christ did through death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. And now the Holy Spirit becomes the helper. He takes the righteous living of Christ's disciples and he convicts the world. That's the point of the disciples in following Christ and the Holy Spirit being their helper. How will the world respond to the disciples' lives of righteousness? Well, he says in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, chapter 15, verse 20, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The question we would consider this morning is how will the world respond to the church living righteously? How does the world respond to your life and my life as we walk righteously with God by the help of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit at work through the believers in the world will convict the world of sin and righteousness. And there will be one of two responses. There will be repentance or there will be rejection there will be a hardened heart but not only does the helper convict the world of sin and righteousness the helper also convicts the world of judgment he says in verse 11 because the ruler of this world has been judged simply put jesus's death on the cross has judged the ruler of the world satan the cross the resurrection and the grave they delivered the judgment on satan the prince of the world, Satan, he has been judged and the verdict has been announced. And all that remains is the execution of the sentence 
when Jesus returns. So here's the thing. When a person comes under conviction of sin in their life because of the Holy Spirit at work in them through the testimony of one of Christ's disciples through the church, that person sees the folly of sin and unbelief in their life. And they repent of sin. And they confess that he or she or they confess that that they too would suffer the just wrath of God and the judgment of God if it were not for the work of Christ on the cross. And this is the hope of the gospel. That through the testimony of the church, by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, many, many will be brought to a saving knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see the Holy Spirit is our helper. His desire is to use our lives, church, to bring about repentance in the world. The Holy Spirit, get this, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts, not the church. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. You're not to be the judge in that sense. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of convicting while we live our faith out boldly. And we live it out before all to see, on display for the world to see. And so the invitation is the same as Jesus gives to the disciples in verse 5. I'm going to him who sent me. See the big picture of the mission, disciples. See what this is about, disciples. Hear what I'm saying. I'm going back to the one who sent me, and now you're going to be carrying out this mission. The big picture of Christ's mission through the church is that church, we would be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. That daily we would be walking in dependence to the Holy Spirit as we live out our faith in, in, in the, the, the spheres of influence that God has given us. And so we must not forget the Holy Spirit is our helper. He desires to work with us, to walk with us, to lead us. And that brings us to the second point this morning. The Holy Spirit is our guide. In verses 12 through 15, the mark of a great teacher is the ability to discern what truth to share and when to share it. Just the right amount of truth at at the best time. I love that statement in verse 12, what he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It shows Christ as being compassionate with his disciples. He waits, he waits until they receive the Holy Spirit to share. He waits until now to share some of the things with them that he hasn't shared with them before. We saw that in verse 4 of chapter 16. These things I did not say to you at the beginning. Why? Because I was with you, but now. Right? He waited this, this time. He, he allowed his disciples time to grow, and he was growing them in the process. You know, the Lord does the same thing with us. Maybe even through us, we use and exercise discernment when we're lovingly sharing with others maybe areas in their own life where they need to grow. We, we lovingly exercise discernment as the Lord leads us, and we grow in discipleship with Christ. Jesus exercises this great discernment as he leads his disciples and he tells them, you cannot bear them now, but I have many more things to say to you. 
He's waited until now to share some of these things with his disciples. These other truths they really can't handle. But we see, we see discipleship as the, the process of growing and learning. And Jesus has put this in place with his disciples. This is the way that Christ works in their lives. It's the way that he works in our lives. He leads us and teaches us by his Holy Spirit. And this really should be our God as disciples as well. That we would exercise the same kind of discretion and Holy Spirit guidance in the lives of, of those that we work with and disciple. In verse 13 he says, But when he... That is, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. As the Spirit of truth, he reveals the character and the will of God to his disciples. Today, he does this through his word as we are studying and reading and submitting ourselves to the truth of of God's word in our daily lives. It's the word of God that shapes us and, and molds us and directs us and reveals truth and reveals the character about God and who he is and how he works and what he desires to do in our lives. And so he will guide the apostles, he says, into all truth. That is, bringing to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them, right? I.e., the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, their time with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, brings to their remembrance these things, teaching them the things which they must learn in the presence of the Holy Spirit also. Verse 12, they couldn't bear those things now, but after the coming of the Holy Spirit, he will teach them All the truth. We see that evidence in the New Testament through the epistles, right? Through Paul's writing, through Peter's writing, and James. Through the epistles, we we see this in Acts. The continued revelation of the Holy Spirit as the apostles are learning how to take God's word and what they have learned and apply it into their daily lives. This is the same for us. We hear God's word, we read God's word, and we apply it into our daily lives. And even those things which are to come. He says at the end of verse 13, and he will declare to you what is to come. Even through new revelation for the apostles, the recording of the book of Revelation, the apostle John. And he says, he's not speaking, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on his own initiative, but he discloses what is to come, showing the unity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of truth teaches us the truth about God and who he is and how it applies and works in our lives so that as we are growing in Christ, it's worked out and fleshed out in front of the world. And so the disciples needed the Holy Spirit's guidance and the Holy Spirit's empowerment in a greater way than they even realized then. You know, to have a guide means that I'm I'm going somewhere. I don't know exactly where I'm going maybe, but I'm, I'm trusting that this guide is taking me in the direction that I need to go and bringing me to the place that I need to go. You know, I was thinking about the characteristics of a, of a good guide. Who would be, or what would be the characteristics in your mind of a good guide? Someone who, uh, who has information that they're able to share with you about the place that you're going. You're able to learn from them. They, they teach you. 
someone who doesn't get lost, I think that would be important. You don't want to get lost if you're on a, on a tour, right? Uh, I mean, especially like if you're in a cavern or, or a cave, you wouldn't want to get lost while you're on a tour. Someone who teaches you in the midst of the journey, and I think finally someone who delivers you safely to the destination where you're going. Remember one time when I was, uh, well, when I was graduating high school, uh, my grandmother had come down for graduation, and uh, we were going to go on one of these swamp tours, and we were launching out of, uh, out of Bayou Black and Homa, and we were going into the intercoastal, and you should know that I grew up on the intercoastal, and I grew up fishing and skiing. Uh, I grew up uh, just having fun out on the water, uh, and, you know, didn't ever give a second thought to when we jump in and ski or hydroslide or anything like that. Uh, and so, you know, I'm going on this swamp tour uh, after, we've, after I've graduated high school, and the guide begins taking us out of the launch and gets in the intercoastal and then makes a right-hand turn that's quite familiar uh, for us as we used to always go out and, and kneeboard and, and water slide, I mean, uh, ski and stuff like that. And so as the, uh, as the tour guide continues to go, the tour guide's explaining all the different things, and look, there's, there's where an owl uh, there's where an owl lives, and, and look, there's, there's an eagle's nest, and uh, oh, look at the snake. And then we turn into this, uh, this particular canal that was a great canal for water skiing. In fact, it was a great canal for fishing as well. Uh, and so it had gotten a, a name that was kind of bad from all the fishermen because all the skiers, the water skiers, like to go in there. And they go to the end of the canal, and there's this big old turnaround at the end of the canal. And, uh, and so it was a great place to, I mean, you could have like three or four boats going at one time because it was long, and we'd go to the end of this canal, and we'd turn around and come back up the, can, up the canal, and then, of course, we'd keep doing the same thing over and over again. And uh, so we turned down this very familiar canal and began going towards the end of the canal, and we get to the end of the canal, and lo and behold, this is where the swamp tour goes to feed their alligators. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought, right? <laughs> I learned something that day from the guide. I learned that I didn't know the danger I was walking in, or swimming in, rather. The point is, that guide taught me there was danger that I wasn't aware of seeing. I wasn't able to see. And this is the same thing the Holy Spirit does in the life of the world through the church. It reveals the danger that their eyes are closed and blinded from seeing. God uses His church and His people to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment because Christ died for the sins of man. He satisfied the wrath of God against sin so that man would not have to suffer the wrath of God against their own sin. And so the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church and in the life of His disciples in order to be a picture, the bride of Christ, a radiant, shining picture to a lost and dying world. Saying, come in here, find refuge. Find a place of love. Find a place where you can grow. Find a place of of unity. The Holy Spirit is a good guide because not only does the Holy Spirit do that in the world, the Holy Spirit does that in the lives of the disciples, revealing the truth of God's word to us. He is the spirit of truth. 
He instructs us. He, he teaches us. And notice, I'm saying he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And he reveals the truth of God to us. He, he leads us. He teaches us. Church, we need the Holy Spirit's guidance. He'll guide us into all truth as we seek him. He'll give us wisdom on how to apply God's word today in our lives, in in the circumstances that we walk through, so that we might speak and be faithful witnesses to the world. The Holy Spirit does this in order to glorify Christ. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and declares it to you. So the Holy Spirit guides us in accomplishing the work of the Father in the world. We are to be fruit-bearing branches. And yes, God does prune our branches. God does, does cut things out of our lives that are hindering us from walking faithfully with Him. He shapes us and He molds us and He teaches us and He, he works by the ministry and the power and the Word, His Word, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And get this, it is the disciples' work to witness to the world. We must be witnessing to the world about the personal, powerful life-transforming gospel of Christ. If we're yielded to the Holy Spirit, He will use us as faithful witnesses for the glory of Christ. I want to ask you this morning, are you yielded to the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you been walking knowing that God is with us? He's our helper working through our lives to bring about salvation to the world. He teaches us. He's our good guide, guiding us into truth through his word so that we might grow in our love and our affection for Christ. Does this describe you this morning? How should we live? We should live a life guided by the Spirit, depending upon the help of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Lord will take his word and challenge you and shape and shape us and sharpen us for his glory. This morning, I want to close in prayer and then invite you to respond by praising God for his goodness. As we sing how deep the father's love for us, I want to invite you to respond to the, the wonderful grace of the Lord in your life by praising him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace toward us. Thank you, God, that you have given us of your spirit. You have given us a helper. You have given us one who guides us into all truth. As you guided the disciples, you still guide us today. The Holy Spirit who guided disciples in in pinning the words of Scripture, you still guide us to understand the words of Scripture. Thank you, God, for your provision and your grace in our lives. And we ask that you would lead us and direct us. Use us, Father. Let us be faithful witnesses for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?
chose that different song because we thought it would fit the message better, and I think it did. We just didn't 